Welcome to Cybersecurity On Call, where we discuss the trends, get perspectives, and find tips for cybersecurity professionals. I'm your host, TJ Lair from Cloudera. On call today will be Bill Gertz, the author of iWars, War and Peace in the Information Age. But first, let's look at what's happening in the world of cybersecurity. What's more terrifying, knowing that you just lost your identity or unknowingly being manipulated? While they both seem awful, they are the reality of the digital world that we live in. Just look at the news. With countless articles discussing the recent Equifax hacks, where thousands of social security numbers were compromised, to organizations like Facebook, Google, and Twitter coming forward with Russian accounts that were buying ads to influence U.S. elections. While these events are terrible, the sad part is that this has been going on for years, and is going to continue to get worse as black hats and nation states continue to use the digital warfare for personal and political gains. While the public continues to wake up to these concerns, the majority of us have a long way to go in order to truly protect ourselves from our digital surroundings. No one knows this better than award-winning author Bill Gertz. Bill has joined us to discuss his most recent book on how nation-states are using the digital front to begin information wars. He is an award-winning national security journalist and the senior editor at the Washington Free Beacon. In between finding the hidden truths within intelligence agencies across the world, he has also authored seven books, four of which are New York Times bestsellers, and is here today to discuss his latest book, Iwar, War and Peace in the Information Age. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, TJ. Great to be on the program. That's fantastic. So let's just jump right into it. If you want to uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your most recent book, we can start there. Sure. Um, I War uh, came out in uh, January, and uh, it's kind of the kind of a culmination of reporting that I've done on a lot of subjects, but most uh, national security subjects, but uh, this time especially approaching the issue of uh, uh, cyber warfare as well as information warfare. And uh, I I look at it from two angles. One is the cyber technical and the other is the content influence side of things. Uh, And this is a little different uh, in the past from uh, cybersecurity books and things like that. Um, This is basically looking at, uh, and and again, uh, the the central thesis of IWAR is that we're already engaged in an information war uh, that includes both of those elements. Uh, But the fact is most people in the United States uh, don't fully understand that. They don't grasp that. And I think that the the Russian uh, cyber-enabled influence operation during the last uh, presidential election uh, really woke up a lot of people to this new threat. No, you're absolutely correct. I think a lot of people are definitely thinking about that a lot more now. It's not just about, you know, I lost my social security number anymore. It's about, you know, what am I looking at in this echo chamber on, you know, Facebook or Twitter, or these, you know, all these different digital channels out there. Um, so, so you know, the information warfare aspect of your book is, is obviously a new idea for a lot of the listeners out there. You know, why is information warfare now a major national concern? Is it because of the U.S. election or is or has this always been a concern that's just been hidden away from the eyes of the public? Uh, well, I think I think two, there's there's several reasons why we're not fully up to speed on this topic of information warfare. Uh, one is, I think that my uh, business, the news business, has really fallen down on the job and has not been aware of these 
foreign threat. Uh, we're, we seem to be uh, a media obsessed with uh, uh, the Kardashians and uh, entertainment and frivolous things when there are real threats out there. And uh, I've tried to make the point that these threats need to be addressed uh, and the United States is very ill-prepared to deal with them. And, and again, part of the reason is the government doesn't have a counter disinformation or, or information warfare capability. They really gave that up at the end of the Cold War uh, when, with the collapse of the Soviet Union in 91. Uh, we gave up the U.S. Information Agency. And uh, I think that was a mistake because uh, now we're seeing, especially on the part of the big nation states, uh, Russia and China, we're seeing what I call information assaults. Uh, they're really, they have really understood that uh, the use of information as a strategic weapon uh, will allow them to achieve objectives that their governments want uh, without resorting to kinetic force. So it's kind of, uh, like I say, this is, this is really a new form of warfare. And it's, it's a no-brainer because we're living in an information age. And it's, it's certainly an outgrowth of that. So I advocate that we, we really need to get smart on it and we need to be able to counter these... Uh, uh, disinformation and information warfare narratives coming out. Yeah, it's something that needs to be on the front mind of everybody. It's it's no longer like World War II where, where little pamphlets are coming out of the back of an airplane and just you know, saying, don't read the pamphlets. It's, you know, different nation states surrounding us with this information or misinformation in order to influence the way we think and operate. So you, you mentioned or you alluded to, you know, some ideas in terms of how uh, countries and, and nation states should protect themselves from these types of information wars. But could you, you know, go into that in a little more detail? If you were to uh, get the ear of the, the U.S. president, what would you tell him in terms of how he should protect the U.S. citizens from these types of information wars? Well, uh, yeah, I think the best solution is uh, the, the, the tool of sunshine and uh, accurate and truthful information. Uh, I think the government can do a number of things. Obviously, uh, we need uh, a new, and, and government officials have testified to this in the wake of the Russian election uh, operation, uh, we need a new USIA on steroids. Something that can be out there to say, hey, look, wait a minute, this is uh, false information that's being put out there for a deliberate reason. Um, and uh, we used to have during the Cold War, I remember it very well, it was something called the Active Measures Working Group. And it was formed uh, because the then Soviet Union was actually forth forging documents supposedly signed by senior U.S. officials as part of efforts to discredit the United States. Now, they didn't do this in the United States. They did it mostly in the uh, developing world where uh, the credibility was... Uh, they, they didn't have a, a good sense of whether or not this information was accurate. And so they started this Active Measures Working Group, and it was very effective in uh, countering then uh, Soviet disinformation and propaganda operations. So I think we need to do a similar thing like that. We have uh, currently the, the only thing the U.S. government does in this space in, in a sincere way is the various radios we have. We have a number of uh, radios, the, the central one of which is the Voice of America, um, I think we need to combine all the radios into a 24-7 uh, cable uh, channel that can really run up against the Chinese uh, CCTV, which is uh, funded to the tune of billions of dollars, or the Russian uh, propaganda outlet, RT, which also, again, is 
is funded to billions of dollars compared to the 700 million that's invested in our radios now. So that's that's one thing that I've, I've been advocating for. Finding the right sources of news is, is absolutely critical uh, instead of just, you know, going on to Facebook and, and sitting within your own echo chamber where, you know, some sort of proprietary Facebook algorithm is just feeding you news that you'll click on even more, right? So um, definitely agree that, you know, finding that source of truth and not always being uh, lazy in the fact that you you know you see something you obviously take it at face value and you automatically trust the source that you're you're getting that information from. Uh, so, so you've you mentioned a few different um, you know nation states that are involved in you know information warfare and probably even cyber warfare. Uh, what's the most advanced nation state attack that you've seen um, through covering this space? Well, I think we'd have to say the uh, the Russian, uh, what the U.S. intelligence community has called these Russian cyber-enabled influence operation, and it really changed the, the rules of the game. Uh, in the past, what we had seen was massive hacking attacks from both China and Russia, and they're the they're the big dogs uh, in this this field. Uh, but mostly, it was basically for cyber espionage. In other words, it was intelligence collection. Uh, in the case of the Chinese, uh, they were hacking into massive databases and stealing the information for future use. In the case of the Russians, it was uh, for a political motive. Uh, uh, they wanted to influence the outcome of the election. They wanted to sow discord among uh, within the United States. Again, this is part of uh, Russian leader Vladimir Putin's objective. Uh, he has made the United States the main enemy of Russia, uh, and this goes back to uh, NATO expansion and missile defense deployment in Europe, but he's basically focused on undermining the United States. And so this was really a, a new thing, that they stole the information and then they set up online personas uh, and used uh, pro-Moscow outlets to reveal this information that they had hacked. And I, I can remember when, when it happened during the, as a reporter trying to cover some of the, the amazing amounts of inside information that came out. It was, there was a flood of information. Some, most of it was irrelevant and, and small, but there was some very valuable internal information, political information about various players in the Democratic Party, John Podesta, uh, the Democratic National Committee, uh, so this was really a game changer. Uh, as for the Russians, uh, they are uh, very good at hacking and, and uh, this kind of influence operation based on their history. And that comes from the Soviet period where, again, the KGB was in, engaged in these active measures. Now it's the uh, Federal Security uh, Bureau, uh, which is doing this, the FSB. And uh, obviously in Washington here, people are very much spun up on this. They're looking at ways to try and counter it. Uh, but I think as a result of that, we've kind of lessened our focus on the Chinese who are also very active in this field. It reminds me of you know, just how the education system in these uh, respective countries are built as well to create you know, a next generation of, of engineering or, or mathematics uh, professionals that can you know, develop the cutting edge of, of cyber warfare. Uh, so really, really interesting points. Um, if you were to you know lean forward a little bit, uh, and, and you know obviously we've made some tremendous advancements in cyber warfare the last 
uh, you know, handful of years. But as everything continues to become interconnected and as, you know, countries like Estonia are running their, their entire government off of, you know, digital citizenship, what do you think the future of cyber uh, warfare looks like? Uh, definitely, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be related to um, two fields. One is uh, artificial intelligence and a subset of that machine learning. I think that's really where it's going. I recently reported on a, uh, a Harvard University study that was done for the uh, Intelligence Advanced Research Agency, IARPA. And uh, it said that basically uh, artificial intelligence is going to revolutionize cyber warfare because right now um, there's a human in the loop when you deal with cyber attacks. Uh, and that is uh, trying to analyze and identify the nature of the attack, where it's coming from, and then how to respond to it. Uh, in the future, according to this report, uh, artificial intelligence is going to uh, shorten that process to seconds in the sense that it, the artificial intelligence will be able to identify very quickly the nature of the attack uh, and then also very quickly uh, identify its origin and then make uh, or contribute to the decision about whether to counterattack it or whether to cut it off uh, in, in a defensive way or to counterattack in a more offensive way. So I think that's really where the, the future of uh, cyber warfare is headed. That's uh, a little relaxing to hear <laughs> as, uh, as just a citizen living in this digital age uh, that the cyber defenses are going to continue to improve, and they absolutely need to. It's um, critical for, for any sort of um, innovation to take place or continual progression towards a you know, digital citizenship world that we could potentially operate in. So uh, one thing that you mentioned a little, uh, a little while ago that I want to you know, just uh, touch on is the separation from this uh, kinetic warfare versus cyber warfare. Uh, have, do you have any examples or do you see those two things uh, clashing together at some point? Uh, you know, I just want to open that question up for, for, for your sure. interpretation. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, the Trump administration right now is uh, in preparing for a, a new cyber strategy. And uh, it's going to be from, from the people that I've talked to that are involved with it. Uh, the first step is we need to protect our defenses. And uh, that includes both technical cyber defenses as well as physical defenses, uh, because cyber attacks can be come in many different forms, uh, including electronic, which is kind of in between a kinetic and a cyber attack. Um, recently, the uh, North Koreans announced after their latest nuclear test that uh, this test would also be used in the future for uh, what they call an electromagnetic pulse attack. That's the, or EMP. An EMP is the, the high voltage wave that's created by a nuclear blast in uh, above the atmosphere so that you don't get the effect, the, the kinetic effect of the energy, but you get the electronic effect over uh, say a thousand mile period of disrupting or destroying all electronic devices. Uh, now I know a lot of people have been sounding the alarm on this, but this just recently, the North Koreans came out and said, yeah, this is what we're thinking about doing in the future. So that's, that's one area, uh, again, but that's in between the kinetic. Uh, the other is uh, anti-satellite weapons and moving to space. Uh, the military is looking very closely at uh, uh, the space weapons programs, especially of Russia and China. And obviously, 
attacks on our satellites could do uh, tremendous damage. We would lose our communications and navigation capabilities. We, we're totally reliant on satellites for a lot of these communications. So those are two areas where you see uh, the, the, the differences between cyber and kinetic warfare. Yeah, that's that's terrifying. Uh, you know, we're going through a national d- disaster in the, the Bay Area right now. There's a huge Napa fires, and we have you know obviously some friends and family up there, and just uh, knowing uh, what the what it means to cut off electricity, to cut off water, to to just shut down civilization as we know it, it spirals people into a panic because they're used to all these different you know digital and electronical uh, you know services around them that helped you know, make their life possible. So I couldn't imagine what, what type of um, panic uh, would set in if an entire city went down uh, through some sort of, um, you know, attack like that. Uh, so, so, Bill, uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, for folks that want to learn more about iWars, where should they go to, uh, you know, purchase one of these books for themselves? Well, it's available at all the bookstores on Amazon, and I've set up a website for it, which is at iwarbook.com. And uh, like I say, it's a, it's a really important look. I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about this in the future, this whole idea of uh, not just cyber and technical, but uh, influence content combined with cyber and technical. Perfect. I know I'm going to go pick one of those up uh, immediately. So uh, one question just to, to wrap up our conversation, one question that we ask all of our folks that uh, attend Cybersecurity on Calls, if you had one cyber tip for the audience listening in, what would it be? Uh, yeah, I would say two things, actually two things. Uh, clearly, uh, protecting your information, and that, that requires uh, saving and backing up the information that is really most valuable to you. And the other is the use of uh, secure and encrypted uh, means, uh, whether it's signal for text and voice or proton mail for encrypted email. I think those are really two good uh, security measures. Perfect. Well, that's a, that's a fantastic tip. Um, Bill, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on Cybersecurity on Call. So thanks, Bill, for, for stopping by. Thanks very much for having me. And thanks to our audience for listening. We'd like to keep in touch on Twitter, so please follow Bill at Bill Gertz and Cloudera to at Cloudera. And that's all, folks. My name is TJ Lair, and I look forward to hosting you next time on Cybersecurity on Call.